the mindset of both areas is to make things work. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's about the guest experience. And if we're not working together, that is likely to impact negatively on the guest experience, whether they're the people coming to the private events or the visitors that are coming, you know, daytime. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's about the guest experience. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Well, I think you know, because I've said it before. Tell me anyway. I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. Good, of course. Yes. Matt, you ever notice that sometimes, maybe within the attractions industry, maybe even within other industries as well, sometimes there tends to be a little bit of a disconnect between the marketing departments and the operations departments? I've never noticed that, no. Never? (laughs) Never, but always. Not even when you had a whole ticket booth full of Coke cans one day when you had no idea what to do with any of them? Yeah. Have I told you that story before? You did. And you also shared it in this interview. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I knew that. But um, yes, that, that was probably my um, most memorable um, time when marketing and communications and, and operations didn't communicate uh, well with one another. Um, I think both, you know, obviously have the best interest at heart of the of the operation, but they have very, very different views of how to kind of get there. Um, you know, marketing is about selling the property and selling the experiences and then operations has to make it work. And sometimes, and I'm sure you've seen this too, that those things don't connect. Yeah, well, well sometimes they have different goals altogether. Yeah. It's just, yeah. you know, get people through the gates by any means possible. And then operations is now, well, what do you do with all these people that are here? So there absolutely needs to be that full alignment. And yes, I, I do have a, a number of examples as well. Nothing uh, that, nothing that resulted in, in so many soda cans just all over the place. But I, I mean, I can think of, of some examples where, where some businesses have closed where I feel like I could diagnose that as they're not being a, a close enough connection between marketing and operations because it's about setting the proper expectation for the guest and then being able to deliver and execute on that expectation. So not only is it very important for it to be aligned, but that is a good segue into our guest today, Scott Rose, who is the chief operating officer at Zoo Tampa. And he does oversee both marketing and operations. So they are fully aligned because they're overseen by by an individual, which is really cool to see the advantages that that uh, brings to the table because he has a wealth of experience in both of those normally siloed departments, but now is an opportunity to really bring those together. And what was cool is, you know, you and I come from the operations background. He actually comes from the marketing side of the business and to see him embrace and, 
and um, you know bring together both of those departments because they do absolutely have to work together, uh, I think is fantastic. Um, now, I want to go back for a second because you said you can think of some businesses that actually closed because of that. That might be a future episode or something. I want to I maybe peel the onion back on that one. Um, but thinking of, of this conversation with Scott, you know, as I say at the beginning, you and I and Scott know each other and have known each other for a long time because of the Florida Attractions Association. And, you know, I'm really glad that we got to talk to him today because I learned things about his background that I didn't know, even knowing him for many, many years. Worked for SeaWorld for a long time, opened Discovery Cove in Orlando, uh, worked for SeaWorld Corporate uh, for, for a little bit. So uh, it was really great to catch up and find out those things that I didn't even know. Yeah, uh, the Discovery Cove piece is interesting. And as you'll see, it, it piqued both of our interests that we had some specific questions about that because he, he came on board at Discovery Cove a year before the park opened. So at that point, most people are saying, well, well what is this? What, what is this gonna be? And uh, it was definitely a challenge to communicate people what the product is and the way that Scott describes it, I think is perfect, is fantastic. And uh, I'm excited for this interview. We talk about aligning marketing and operations. We talk about uh, this transformation that Zoo Tampa has gone under over the last few years. It used to be the Lowry Park Zoo. Now it's Zoo Tampa at Lowry Park. We talked about what they did throughout their closure. And we also talk about guest research and all the things that I nerd out about all the time of collecting guest feedback and using that towards making continual improvements within your operation. Well, I think with that um, intro, let's go ahead and get to Scott's interview. What do you think? Let's do it. Scott Rose, thank you so much for joining us today on the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing, Scott? Doing great. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So excited to talk to you today. You know, you and Josh and I go back a ways, you know, with Florida Attractions Association. So it's about time we've had you on here. Um, but Scott, can you give us- so long. <laughs> You're a hard get. That's what it is. Um, can you just kind of give us a quick rundown of kind of your history in the industry and with zoos, aquariums, and, and all the things you've done? Sure. Love to. Um, I've uh, really uh, had the opportunity to work in this industry my entire career, and it's been a pretty long career at that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, the good thing is it's not just been working in attractions. It's been working in animal attractions my whole career. Uh, I started um, back in 1980 at SeaWorld San Diego, uh, fresh out of college. I, I found a job there as a group sales representative and didn't know much about it, but I thought, hey, it's a pretty cool place to work and um, joined, the, joined the team there and, and was selling group events and uh, putting ticketing programs together and, and uh, group promotions and such and thought I'd be there for a couple of years and then move on to a real job. Uh, well, you know, a few years later, I was still there. And in fact, I uh, worked at SeaWorld San Diego in a variety of sales and marketing uh, uh, positions for 19 years. Uh, at that point, I had the opportunity to transfer to SeaWorld Orlando, uh, specifically to open up uh, the new Discovery Cove Park, uh, which is SeaWorld's uh, Dolphin Interaction Park across the street. And that was an amazing experience, I'll tell you, because <clears throat> at that point in time, that concept for a high-end, uh, limited capacity, all-inclusive, um, you know, high-ticket price attraction park had never been done before. And quite honestly, we didn't know if it was going to work or not, but uh, we loved the concept and 
I was on board about a year before the park was open and, and helped put together all the marketing plans, sales channels, sales distribution network, uh, reservation center, and then opened the park on July 1st, year 2000. And sure enough, the park worked uh, right from the get-go. It was uh, extremely uh, successful. People love the concept, uh, particularly the international market. Um, the, uh, the UK uh, visitors to Orlando uh, were represented about half of the park on any given day. Uh, so it was just, and it's a great experience. If you haven't done it, you really need to go and, and experience Discovery Cove. Um, so I was, uh, I was there for a couple more years after the park opened and then moved on to the SeaWorld uh, corporate side and did some work uh, for all of the Bush Entertainment Corporation parks at the time, there were 11, and uh, Bush Gardens Williamsburg and SeaWorld Texas, California, et cetera, et cetera, and helping put together marketing plans, research programs, uh, pricing strategies, open new attractions and such. So gave me a, a good variety of, um, of, of things uh, to experience there. Um, after 30 years, I, I left SeaWorld uh, and moved over to Tampa uh, to join forces with my good friend, the late Tom Stork, uh, who was CEO of the Florida Aquarium. And so made the move from a big corporate uh, theme park group to a uh, relatively small nonprofit organization at the Florida Aquarium. And uh, we did some great things there. I was there uh, heading up sales and marketing and then chief operating officer for about seven years and then decided to go out on my own. I was gonna you know, start my own business as a uh, consulting with attractions, helping with um, uh, uh, marketing projects and research development. Uh, and one of my first clients was Zoo Tampa. And uh, you know, I started here and working on some projects and about a year later, they, they asked if I could uh, join the team as chief marketing officer. And uh, so I did so, uh, and <clears throat> then about a year after that, took on the operating uh, groups, non-animal operating groups here. And so that's where I am today. Um, this is a great business to be in, I'll tell you. I, I couldn't think of any other industry I'd, I, I'd wanna spend my career in than the attractions business. Um, you know, it's a place where there are parks where people wanna go and, you know, we help make memories and, and provide fun and exciting times for families and, and for, you know, our visitors. Uh, and on the animal side of it, you know, the great things that uh, these, these parks do for animals and wildlife, uh, saving and protecting and rescuing, rehabilitating animals is just amazing. And so, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's very rewarding. Uh, you know, you're making people happy and you're saving, saving animals. Couldn't be better. Yeah. Scott, if you don't mind, I have a question about Discovery Cove, if that's okay. I, when you were there, you said you came on board about a year before the park opened and putting together the, the marketing and the communication for that. Curious if it was challenging to actually explain to people what it was because it was such a unique concept. Obviously, it's been open for 20 years now. It's been very successful. People, for the most part, probably pretty, pretty, under, pretty much understand what it is. But uh, I can imagine back then were people saying, is, is this a theme park? Is this a water park? It looks a lot smaller. Uh, is it worth it that 
you know, there was the the element of not knowing what it is and curious if, uh, and, and I, I can imagine that had to have been somewhat of an exciting challenge to be able to uh, put together that communication for it. Oh, you're absolutely right. It was, uh, it was a challenge. Uh, there was no playbook for this because nobody had done it before. And so to try and explain it to people, uh, this high-end resort, people thought that we had a hotel there because we positioned it as a resort. We didn't have a hotel there, uh, but it was a resort type of experience. And we tried to kind of explain it as it's the Ritz-Carlton of, of theme parks, if you will. And you come in and we'll totally immerse you in a different environment. Everything's included, and uh, you know it. It just is a is a a day that you'll never forget. Uh, hard to explain, not only to consumers but also to to clients, uh, to this to the sales uh, clients, uh, ticket sellers, and and tour operators, because they didn't understand it, and particularly the limited capacity part of it. We could only allocate a certain amount of our inventory to sales channels. And when they sold those and they were gone, then they just wanted more. And they didn't understand the whole idea of, of this limited capacity and limited availability of our, of our inventory. So it took a while to, to get uh, the park known um, and the, the new concept known, but we worked, uh, we worked hard at that. And um, by the time we got it open, I think people were, were really totally understanding of what, what, the, what the new concept uh, was Scott? I've got another Discovery Cove question. Um, maybe, maybe more about why aren't there more? Not just Discovery Cove, but why aren't there more high-end, limited capacity, you know, all-inclusive attractions? Not just resorts, but attractions as well, where there are things to do. You know, maybe there are animal encounters, but why? Why aren't there more of those? Uh, what more of that model? Uh, excellent question, Matt. Um, you know, there are other dolphin interaction parks around the world, quite honestly, a lot of them. Um, but they're not to the same magnitude of Discovery Cove, uh, and they're, they, they're not all a full-day experience in a, in a resort uh, theme park, if you will. Um, it's a special model, and it's, it's hard to replicate. We looked at, uh, really around the world at other locations where we could uh, we, we, we could build an, another Discovery Cove. Uh, Las Vegas, Hawaii, um, overseas. And it just, we couldn't find the right combination of, you need a, a large tourist base that's going in there, you need the right climate. Uh, and, and Orlando has kind of uh, that, both aspects of the huge tourist base that they have and a year-round climate where you could have an outdoor experience like that. Um, it, it's a good question though. I think that there are opportunities for other high-end attractions to, to be built uh, and, and could be successful. Uh, but that's just, it hasn't, it hasn't really been replicated. Hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I think that that's, uh, uh, Matt, I think you bring up a really interesting point, definitely something something to think about to say if you're able to create something that commands a lot of exclusivity, then it, you know, it builds demand that exceeds the supply and you have the travel agents that are saying I'm all out of my inventory and running into that very good problem and, uh, and setting up the business that way. So, um, so yeah, maybe, maybe we'll see more of these, you know, coming, uh, coming into the future now that Discovery Co for the last 20 plus years has, has definitely proven the, the business model, proven the case for it. So Let's uh, let's shift a little towards Zoo Tampa. Tell us a little bit about 
uh, what you're focusing on there and, uh, and what your role is with the zoo. Okay, well, my role here as chief operating officer is, uh, is that I oversee the non-animal operating uh, departments, including guest services, uh, security, uh, park quality, um, health, health uh, the medic uh, department, and also the guest experience department, uh, retail. Uh, I also oversee the sales and marketing uh, as, as well as maintenance and construction. So it's a, it's a, it's a large area of, of the zoo. I've got a great leadership team that, uh, that I work with that are capable of uh, managing all of those departments. I just kind of try and provide them with a little bit of direction. Um, so, you know, we're focusing on growth right now. We rebranded about three years ago. We were Lowry Park Zoo, as you may recall, and we rebranded to uh, Zoo Tampa at Lowry Park. One of the key reasons is because we felt that Lowry Park Zoo made us feel small, made us feel like a, a neighborhood zoo. And we were bigger than that. And Zoo Tampa, we feel, is much more aligned with this, uh, the, the region here. Um, and we, it, it really catapulted us forward and the brand has, uh, has grown significantly and strengthened consider, uh, considerably since then. Um, we have spent a lot of time improving the park, uh, the quality of the park. It's an older facility, uh, goes back 30 years and it's an aging facility. So we've invested into the infrastructure. We've invested into new, new experiences here. Uh, we have recently uh, completed a five-year strategic plan and a 20-year master plan that will take us into the future. Exciting stuff, I'll tell you. Th this zoo here uh, has, has a, a bright future. We have um, uh, grown significantly in the last couple of years from an attendance and revenue standpoint. Uh, we had uh, some challenges going through COVID, as everybody did. Uh, but we came out stronger than, than we went into it. And we've had, uh, you know, our, our business is stronger than it ever has been, I'm pleased to say. Uh, it, the team has worked very hard to get us there, too. This, it didn't just happen. But um, we are now positioned to move forward. Uh, we have a uh, 20, $21 million uh, campaign uh, to raise the funds for our master plan. And so we've embarked upon that. Uh, we've got a new um, attraction that'll be opening up next spring called um, uh, Florida Wilds, which is a renovation of our uh, Florida Panther and uh, Bear facilities uh, to expand what we do there and allow us to do more conservation work and with Florida Wildlife. Uh, our, our manatee rescue and rehab program is uh, incredibly important to uh, helping the plight of the manatees, which I'm sure you know has been particularly challenged this year. Uh, we have one of the only um, critical care centers for manatees here in Florida, and we, we uh, rescue manatees, bring them in, uh, rehabilitate them, and then hopefully uh, release them back into the, into the uh, wild. And if they're not deemed releasable, we'll move them to another facility that can care for them. Because we're a hospital here, we're not, we don't keep the manatees here for an extended period of time. So the, the team that handles our conservation and research is stellar. And the, the work that they do is simply amazing. They're, you know, our mission is, is to save, you know, save uh, 
wildlife, particularly Florida wildlife. So th those are that's really what we focus on here at Zoo Tampa. So you're really not busy at all. <laughs> I've got a great team that does all. <laughs> That's awesome. Scott, I'm curious, you talked a little bit about the conservation piece and the rehab and the rehabilitation um, of the animals. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think sometimes, you know, people get a view of the zoo where they go in and they look at the animals, but they don't know all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that is really about, like you said, conserving and, and preserving wildlife, rehabilitating animals. So can you talk a little bit more about what Zoo Tampa does there? Sure. Um, you know, we are, our, our focus, as I, as I said before, is on uh, conservation programs, primarily on Florida wildlife and manatees, uh, panthers, black bears, indigo snakes, and such. Uh, and, you know, we are, we work with uh, an alliance of other zoos in some cases. We work with uh, Florida uh, Fish and Wildlife. Uh, who, who manage a lot of the conservation programs. Uh, and then we tell the story. We tell the story to our visitors here through interpretive graphics, videos, and such that they can experience when they visit the zoo. And we feel it's important to tell that story because the challenges that these animals have, many of which are endangered, are because of the, uh, the interface that they have with humans. And, you know, whether it's... Um, uh, habitat uh, destruction of some sort or pollution in the water uh, or boat strikes with, um, with manatees, which is a big challenge there. And we, we try and through these stories, um, change behavior so that they can understand that what they do uh, it, it can impact wildlife that's right here in our own backyard. And so that, that's our, again, that's, that's our mission is to uh, inform, educate, inspire people to learn to cohabitate with, with animals uh, in nature. So Scott, uh, being that you oversee marketing and operations and anything that is a non-animal related department, uh, how important is it for you to bring, you know, the, the background that you have of 40 plus years working with animal related attractions and just having the, the passion for the animal care and conservation? Um, or, you know, could, could someone be in this role who has a lot of marketing and a lot of, you know, operations, you know, focus in maybe a business that did not deal specifically with animals, but everything else is, you know, all things being equal, or does it require this same level of passion running through your veins? You know, I don't, I don't think it requires it, but I think it's a plus because that's what gets me up every morning and brings me to work is that passion. And, uh, you, you know, I, I, I think I can uh, have good relationships with the animal folks because I do have a background that has been around animals, uh, animal trainers, animal care staff, animal vets, uh, my entire career. I'm not one myself. I don't, I don't, you know, um, promise to be one. But nevertheless, I think I can, I can understand what what they do and have a great appreciation for that. So it's not required, uh, and you know, people can come in from different backgrounds and and do the job, marketing or operations. But I think the, uh, the, the experience that um, you know, I've had in my career and others uh, in similar positions uh, where you've been around uh, these type of uh, attractions with, with animals 
uh, can make a difference. Yeah, Scott, a minute ago, you talked a little bit about COVID and I'm wondering if we can go back there because, you know, we're still at the time of this recording, still dealing with some of the some of the COVID issues. And I know that you've got a great story about kind of the things that have happened at the zoo. Can So can you kind of walk us through some of the things you did at the zoo to, to kind of make it through the pandemic? Sure. Uh, you know, as as we in the attractions industry, we all went through this together and there was there was no playbook for this. Um, and so we uh, as a leadership team here uh, worked very, very hard uh, collaboratively to make the right decisions to get this organization through this challenging period. And like I said, we're still going through it and dealing with some of it. But you know, when it became uh, reality that we were going to close down uh, mid-March of last year, uh, we we made the decision to furlough eighty uh, percent of our of our staff here. Uh, the other twenty percent were uh, retained uh, predominantly to take care of the park, but more so to take care of the animals. You know, we couldn't just lock the doors and go home. Uh, we had a we had a lot of animals that uh, relied on us to. To, to take care of them and to feed them and to provide their welfare. Uh, so that's what we did, but we worked through it uh, with the intention of um, coming, coming out of this stronger than when we went into it. And uh, we fully intended to bring back every one of those employees that we furloughed, and we did. Uh, and we were closed for two and a half months. We opened up the end of May. Uh, and uh, we brought back every one of those employees that wanted to come back. There were a couple that, you know, wanted to go do something different or were um, uh, concerned about coming back in, in the, uh, the state of the health then. Uh, I think one of the keys for our success through this whole program is that we continued to market the park. We continued to market the park uh, through the time that we were closed. Uh, our reopening, we, we, we didn't take our foot off of the accelerator by any means. In fact, we, we invested more into it because we knew people would come back eventually. Um, and so in some cases, we saw attractions and other organizations that said, let's, let's stop everything right now. You know, we'll come back when we can. But we took a little different approach to it. And uh, when we were closed, we had an advertising campaign out there. Uh, we had to obviously adjust the communications in it. We had to be respectful of the time. Uh, we, but we were letting people know that, you know, as they were taking care of their family, we were taking care of our family. And we used social media to a great extent. Uh, we did have, a, you know, some, some other advertising um, and, and media opportunities that, that told our story. And, you know, then when we got ready to open, we were welcoming people back and really reinforcing that we were doing everything possible to keep this experience safe. And we had a, we had a campaign, Get Wild Safely, uh, to where you know, we were promoting uh, that the nature of the zoo is an outdoor experience, it's wide open. Uh, we've got safety protocols and we had all of the safety protocols of limited attendance and taking you know, uh, temperatures of our guests coming in and masks and, um, you know, cleanliness standards and, and, and all of that, as everybody did. Uh, and so our business rebounded pretty quickly. I'm, I'm proud, proud and pleased to say 
And like I said before, we now, a year plus later, uh, have had, you know, the most successful year in our history. Wow. It's been, it's been challenging. And I know we were, I will say that we were fortunate to be an outdoor facility. Uh, indoor facilities had a more of a challenge uh, by nature of that. But, uh, but we, we, kept, we kept things going and it worked. What were some of those things that you did while you were marketing, while you were still closed, that led to the successful rebound that happened after that? Well, like I said, we, we continued with our, our campaign out there. We adjusted it uh, for, for the time, the communications. <clears throat> uh, we used social media to keep our awareness up. Uh, we knew that since people couldn't come to the, the zoo, we needed to take the zoo to them. And so a lot of those social media uh, efforts were designed to, uh, to educate and to entertain and to be kind of the virtual zoo, if you will, um, and to show what we were doing, uh, to taking care of our animals when the, when the, the zoo was closed. Uh, There's a lot of interest in, in how this all impacted the animals. Uh, questions being, you know, how are the animals dealing with this? Do you, do you notice any difference because there's no visitors around? And so we, we, we talked a lot about that. And the answer is yes. You know, the animals notice that, hey, something has changed here. You know, we don't have a lot of, a lot of folks wandering around the park here. They're still being taken care of, but they, they knew something was different. And when we reopened, you could tell that there was a real energy there with the animals. So we, you know, we really did a lot to be um, top of mind uh, that we're, we're looking forward to having you back. The animals miss you uh, and they're looking forward to it. And so I think then when we reopened, we were teed up and, and ready to, to welcome people back. Scott, one of the things I'm curious about um, really has to do with your background in marketing and sales and, you know, kind of looking at everything from that lens and now being responsible for the operation of the entire facility. So how does that experience inform your current decisions versus maybe somebody that came from operations or finance? Like, do you see yourself making different decisions or having a different lens than, than people that come from a different background? Uh, it, it, sometimes I find that I'm arguing with myself. <laughs> and I say that because, you know, in sales and marketing sometimes aren't always, uh, don't always get along very well with the operations folks. So, you know, now that I'm overseeing both, I, I have to mitigate, uh, you know, some of those um, differing opinions or, uh, you know, priorities um, that, that are different there. And so it's, 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 it's fun, in my opinion. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, with a single leader over uh, sales and marketing and operations, it kind of can bring those teams together in a, in a positive way. Uh, you know, what sales and marketing does a lot of times, well, what they do, it, uh, it impacts the operations uh, areas. And so we spend a lot of time uh, figuring out how, how to deal with that and how to uh, work well together and communicate well to ensure that uh, operations knows what marketing is doing and, and vice versa. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, 
it, or it, it can be a challenge because sometimes sales and marketing don't always agree with operations. Can you expand on that a little bit or maybe maybe shed a little light of sometimes what some disconnects could be or certain scenarios? Well, uh, let's take uh, private events for an example. You know, we, we sell, um, we have a, a team that goes out and sells big parties at the park. And, you know, salespeople are always anxious to sell whatever they can, right? And then operations is in a position where they have to deliver on it. And so there are times, and I've been on both sides of the table, where we've been out selling events that were very difficult to deliver on. Uh, and so, you know, those are the type of, of issues that uh, are, are need, need to be dealt with uh, in the appropriate way. Uh, and it's all about communications. You, know, you, you just, if you properly communicate, you plan in advance, uh, and, and the mindset of both areas is to make things work. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's about the guest experience. And if we're not working together, that is likely to impact negatively on the guest experience, whether they're the people coming to the private events or the visitors that are coming, you know, daytime. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's about the guest experience. Josh, I'm glad you asked that question because that was going to be my follow-up question. <laughs> and, and if I might, one of my favorite sort of operations marketing uh, stories is when I was working at a park and um, they they started to do a, a promotion where if you bring a, a can of a certain soda that you get, you know, admission, you know, a certain amount of the emission off. Well, that was never communicated to the front gate folks. And first of all, they had no button on their POS system for the discount. And then second of all, we had no, no place to put all the cans that people brought in. So it was really a, a, a great lesson in communication or what could have been done a little bit better from a communication standpoint. Uh, but Scott, I want you to talk a little bit, if you could, about the guest experience uh, at the zoo and maybe how it's changed over the years. And speaking of your five-year and your 20-year strategic plan, where do you see that going um, in the future? So, you know, the, the guest experience um, has changed through the years and will continue to evolve. I think what we try to do here is look for ways to engage our visitors uh, and, and immerse our visitors into the zoo uh, with the animals. And we have developed uh, encounters, signature encounters, that allow our guests to go behind the scenes and learn about the elephants or feed Indian rhinos or go into the um, South African penguin habitat. Uh, and, and then we have our animal uh, care staff that comes out and, and talks to visitors uh, with, with animal, ambassador animals, uh, sloths and snakes and, and other uh, porcupines and Tamanduas and, and other animals. And, you know, it not only is engaging the guests directly with the animals, but it's educating them. It's an opportunity to have a, a, a conversation about not only the animal, but what we do to care for the animal and the enrichment. And then if it's an endangered species, the, the challenges that these animals have. Uh, and so our guest experience, we understand quite honestly, that those visitors that have up close 
engagements with animals, their overall satisfaction levels are much higher than those that don't. We don't want to be a zoo where people just walk around and look at our animals on the, in their habitats. We don't. We want them to get involved. And, you know, we broaden the experience. We have some rides here now. We have some a couple of shows. And so it's, it's more than just a, you know, old, old style uh, zoo. Um, we use our, our in-park research extensively to improve the guest experience. Uh, and what I mean by that is we, we conduct research uh, with visitors. Uh, we use a company called Moray Research. Uh, they, they, they do a lot of zoos and aquariums across the country. I've used them here at the zoo for several years and at the aquarium. And what, what that research does is it, it gives us a total picture of the guest experience from their overall satisfaction ratings to how they felt about the cleanliness of the park and employee courtesy uh, and um, educational value, uh, entertainment value, uh, the people that had inconveniences in, in, in the park and, and how we deal with those. Uh, and the great thing about this research is it, it benchmarks against other zoos and aquariums. So, you know, if a, if a rating is like, say, 80% overall satisfaction, well, is that good or is that bad? Without benchmarks, you don't know. So this gives us an idea of how we rate relative to our, our, our peers uh, and, and other attractions that are similar in nature. And, you know, we use that. We use secret shopper uh, reports and uh, that kind of gives us a glimpse into how our employees are doing and rated by the secret shoppers that come in. Uh, we have a program here called Host of the Day, which is where a management person is assigned every, and we have one person every Saturday to spend the day in the park with their family, not in uniform, not with a name tag on, not with a radio, just experience it like a guest would, and then write a report. And then we review the report. We have here a, a team called the Guest Experience Team that uh, represents key departments uh, around, the, around the zoo. And we meet weekly and our, our focus is the guest experience. And we use these tools to really analyze it and drill down into the data and look at how certain ratings are driving other ratings. Like I said before, we know that those guests that have an experience, uh, a um, encounter with, with an animal of some way, shape or form, uh, their overall satisfaction is scored much higher. And so we, we, and then we can we look at all of those uh, cases of inconveniences and go through every single one of them. And how can we fix that? How can we do better? How can we, and then look at what's working and build upon it. Then we use this research and these ratings um, in, in uh, performance evaluations and uh, they, determine, they determine people's bonuses, quite honestly, all the way from the CEO to the frontline staff. And we have to hit certain uh, guest experience ratings in order to, to succeed from a, from a bonus standpoint. So it's, it's the most important thing, you know, in my opinion, because I kind of drive the whole, that whole area, uh, that um, why we're here and, and to, uh, to engage with the visitors and to provide a really, really good experience. 
Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. I'm definitely a, a huge nerd for guest experience research and data. So I was loving every second of, of that response there and, and hearing all that you do because it's it's so much and it's really wanting to make sure that you get into every single granular detail of the guest experience and look at it from multiple different angles of from the secret shop reports to the research that you do with Moray to the uh, to the host of the day program and looking all that from really from as, as many angles as possible to make sure that you have the full picture. Can you talk about what then happens with that data once you know what all the what all the answers are to be able to take that and convert that into actionable solutions or long-term implementations that then result in ideally higher satisfaction scores and continual enhancement of the guest experience that's based off of the data to, uh, to say, you know, here's here's a, um, a a concern that we're getting, you know, in in large waves. So it's definitely an, an aggregate, and being able to say, well, let's come up with that long term solution for that issue, and then implementing that, putting it in place. Well, that's exactly what this guest experience team is tasked with: is to uh, drill down into the research, learn about it, learn what what's working, what's not working, then put actionable plans together to address it, to improve. And I'll give you an example. You know, one of our biggest, uh, what, what we call inconveniences here at the zoo uh, uh, is closed attractions and or closed facilities. Um, and it comes up all the time. It's the number one category of inconveniences whether it's a closed habitat or a closed concession stand or a retail shop or a ride. And so what we are doing right now is we are as a team going in and putting a plan together. We're identifying every facility that's closed, what the operating hours are and, and uh, reasons why they're closed. Is the ride broken down, for example? Is the animal off habitat because it's in medical treatment uh, and looking at each and every one of those to see if we can improve upon it. It's really tough because, you know, this park uh, on a day like today will do maybe 1,200 people. On a busy day in springtime, it'll do 7,000 people. Well, it's hard to keep every single uh, facility open that's designed to accommodate a 7,000 person day for 1,200 people. It doesn't always make uh, financial sense. It's not necessarily the best business decision, but understanding that it drives the guest experience. Sometimes we have to balance the, the financial side of it with the guest experience side of it. And we may invest in keeping facilities open uh, for a low attendance day that otherwise it probably wouldn't it make sense, but we do it because of the guest experience, because we don't want people walking out of here thinking, there's sure a lot of stuff closed and I didn't get my money's worth, you know, uh, because the people that come in on a day like today, you know, they should have the same experience as somebody that comes in on a 7,000 person day. So, you know, that's an example of how this team works together and, and tries to break it down into manageable pieces that work a plan that eventually will improve uh, and address the situation at hand. So hopefully that's a good a good example. 
Scott, I want to go back to that host of the day program just for a second, because I love the idea of not only coming in, you know, no name tag, no radio, but also bringing your family on a, on a Saturday that, because I think when you bring your family or you're there with your friends, you have a much different perspective of kind of the experience that people are, are having. So are there any lessons or learnings or insights that you can share that you've gotten from that program that maybe you wouldn't have gotten from any of your other uh, data sources? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we used to do the program just with the senior leadership staff. And uh, we, we designed it for, uh, to get input from senior leadership uh, as to their, their experience in the park. We've expanded it a lot now to the other um, levels of management uh, so that we can get get insight from people who normally don't comment on, on the guest experience. Uh, and we, we get incredible uh, feedback. Bringing families is so important because if you've got, particularly if you have small kids, you see the experience through their eyes. And that's important because that's the way our visitors experience the zoo, right? So we wanna see it from their, from their perspective. Uh, we invite them to, to do signature encounters when they're here for the day. Uh, we, you know, provide them with breakfast certificates and lunch certificates so that they can tell us about the food, what, what's good, where we, and it, they, they develop a report and then they come to our guest experience team meeting every, every week uh, and, and talk to us about their experience and talk to us about how their, you know, their guests responded. Uh, they talk about what they think we need to improve upon. And, you know, they see things that we as senior leaders who walk the park every day don't see. It, it's amazing the type of insight that you can get uh, from, from the employees. And so we encourage it. We actually require it, uh, <laughs> but it's good for them. And, you know, because especially sometimes administrative folks don't always get out in the park. Uh, I know. <laughs> and uh, I spend a lot of time out in the park now because I've got an operations hat to wear. But when I was uh, strictly marketing, there'd be a week go by that I didn't get out into the park, you know. And so it's good for them to see the park and, and see it, exp experience everything and see it with their families in a very casual environment. Yeah. You mentioned the, the feedback that comes in from the kids, from the families uh, you know, of, the, of the host of the day. Do you find that that tends to be, I would say a little more candid and therefore could actually be even better quality feedback than perhaps you know, from, from an adult or from a guest who might you know, stop and leave a comment card or something like that? And, uh, and how does that, I would say, weave its way into the overall research process and understanding it? Yeah, yeah, you, you you do. You get you get very candid uh, feedback from from kids. Um, I wish we could bring those kids to our our meeting, our our guest experience team meeting, and hear it directly from them because you know that input is filtered through their parent or you know through uh, through our employee here. Um, but I, I wish we could, and I spend you know a lot of time out in the park, and I'll stop and I'll talk to kids because I want to hear it from them. You know, I, I, I want to see what, you know, Hey, what are you enjoying your day? What, what's your favorite animal? You know, and they'll tell you, 
and you, you get some great insight from, from that. So Scott, I just have to ask you, what's your favorite animal? <laughs> and is it land or sea? <laughs> Spent so much time working with both. I know. Yeah, you know, I, I love them all. And, you know, it was, uh, it was great working in an aquarium uh, with aquatic animals uh, for the length of time that I did. I, I love being in a terrestrial animal zoo. Um, you know, I, I would say my, my favorite animal here at the zoo is the orang. Uh, they're, they're just so much fun to watch. Uh, they're so personable. We've got a family of orangs here that, um, boy, I'll tell you, I could spend all day out there. And, uh, you know, that's one of many favorite animals that I have. You know, the Florida panther, I'm so amazed with the Florida panther and the plight that they have. There's only a couple of hundred left. Uh, and, you know, the population is, is dwindling. Uh, we're helping to try and prevent, um, you know, the, the challenges that they have with, um, you know, they're, they're hit by cars a lot. They're, you know, some of the uh, ranch, ranch uh, owners uh, hunt them for, you know, really bad reasons. And so, you know, we've got to protect that species or it'll be gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Scott, I, going back to I would say SeaWorld San Diego in the early 1980s, when you said that you were only planning to be there for a short amount of time and then go get a real job. And then your career path obviously kept you in the industry um, with some very much real jobs within, within the business, within the, you know, the, the animal theme park business and in the zoos and aquariums. If you weren't in this industry, uh, what do you think you would be doing instead? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, I've never thought about doing something different. Um, so I couldn't tell you what, what, what I'd be doing. You know, it, this, this business gets into your blood. And um, it, it quickly got into my blood at SeaWorld San Diego. You know, I, I loved, back then, SeaWorld was quite different. Uh, it, was, uh, it was much smaller and much more of a family uh, environment, uh, you know, that was 40 years ago, right? Uh, and uh, it just became uh, a part of my life. And I met my wife there. She was a tour guide at the time. And, you know, our kids were basically raised there. Uh, they knew all the trainers. They, you know, had birthday parties there, sleepovers, summer camps. It, it, it just becomes part of your life. So I, you know, Josh, I couldn't tell you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Scott, I had one more question kind of going back to that time, though. Um, thinking about some of those maybe early lessons that you learned working back there at SeaWorld in San Diego and now being, again, the, the COO of, of the, the zoo, what sort of lessons do you take from some of those early experiences and still use today? Well, um, learning, uh, learning the business in, in a broad way, you know, not just learn sales, not just learn marketing, learn about the finances of the business, learn about the operations of the business, learn about the educational components of the business. 
um, so that you become much broader, you have a much broader knowledge of, of how the business works. And I, I think you provide more value to the company in that respect. Additionally, I've always been an advocate of being involved in the industry. And <clears throat> from, from day one in San Diego 40 years ago, I was involved in the industry, American Marketing Association, sales organizations, uh, with the Visit um, uh, San Diego uh, Convention of Visitors Bureau and such. Uh, I think that part, being active in the industry uh, will help folks in terms of their professional development. Uh, they will better represent their organization within the industry and the networking, the educational opportunities. Uh, as you know, here, I'm involved with uh, Florida Attractions Association, which I've been part of for many, many years, served on the board for uh, about seven years and chair for a couple of years. Great organization, family organization, uh, the annual conference, the networking uh, events that they, they have, uh, it's just a great opportunity for anybody in the attractions industry and those that work with the attractions industry. So I, I'm a big advocate of it. I really try to encourage and in some cases insist my, my staff be involved in industry organizations and not just being a member of it, but participating in it. Be, get on a committee, you know, get, get on to the board and have a seat at the table because then you have a voice at the table. Your organization has a voice at the table. And I'm part of Visit Florida Board as well. And I want to be because I want to be part of how uh, the organization markets this state because the, the tourism is so important to the business that we're all in. So, you know, those are a couple of things that I, I think are really, really important. Great. Yeah, really well said. Thank you for uh, for sharing those insights, those lessons. Uh, Scott, this has been just such a great conversation. We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. If people want to get a hold of you or if they want to learn more about Zoo Tampa, where would you send them? Uh, well, you, you, uh, I, I can certainly take any uh, emails that somebody wants to send me. It's scott.rose at zootampa.org. Uh, you can learn an awful lot about uh, the zoo at uh, on our website, uh, zootampa.org. And, um, you know, I'm happy to uh, uh, talk with anybody out there about the zoo. I, that's what I do. I love talking about the zoo and what we do. So, And Scott, we have loved this conversation, talking about the zoo and your career and everything that you've been uh, doing. So thank you again for your time today. And for everybody out there watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.